I'm wearing a cardigan. Get over it, okay? It's cold out, okay? Um, tank top, 30 degrees, dumb friend, okay? Jesus worship, tithes, and here we are. Um, since I began preaching consistently back in August, this has been something that has been heavy on my heart, and I've just been waiting really for the green light from the Lord. And for whatever reason, it's really amazing because as Pastor Howard was talking about our spirit night at Jumpin' Jacks the other night, which was awesome. Uh, next time we have one of those, you need to come. It's killing two birds with one stone. We're raising money for the mission trip and also just having a really good time breaking bread together, which I will continue to beat the drum of that. Christians, we church members, we need to eat together, okay? So come next time if you didn't, you missed out but there's going to be more opportunities. But I was sitting there talking to Valerie and Kyle and kind of sharing them what this Sunday was going to look like. And Valerie was just, mm-hmm, yes, yes, mm-hmm. I was like, wow, you're really into this. Okay. And, and then she began to tell me that this song that she wanted to sing this morning, which she told me about like two or three weeks ago, she was like, this is the word that I have. And what she shared this morning was on her heart as well. And it just, it totally goes along with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Okay. And so, you know, the past few weeks we've been discussing Elijah and, and looking in Old Testament. And if I'm being honest, I love reading the Old Testament. Really, I actually more so than the New Testament. Because the Old Testament is weird. It's very strange, the things that happen in the Old Testament. It's the original wild, wild west. I mean, people, you know, that don't read it, they don't understand. If you tell them some things that happen in the Old Testament, they're like, what? That's in the Bible? And so it's really fun to read. And I love seeing how those lessons and those things that the people back then walked through still apply today. It's, it's amazing to me. And so we looked at Elijah, and then last week Jason did a great sermon on faith and building our faith, and it was awesome. And I encourage you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here and you didn't hear it, go back and, and watch it or listen to it. Our impact group had a great meeting on Wednesday all about that sermon. But this Sunday, today, I want to turn all of our focus and everything on Jesus. And I love, you know, when, when, we, when we say that name, Jesus, what happens in our lives? It's like, you know, in Lion King when they say Mufasa, like, woo, say it again. You know, Mufasa, woo, you know. Sorry, Disney Plus was released this week. I don't know if any of y'all are aware of the streaming channel, but we got it, and I'm a little uh, going crazy with Disney right now. Tuesday morning it was launched, and before school, while Jesse is getting the girls dressed and braiding their hair and packing their lunches, I'm going, oh, they got Newsies. Newsies is on here. Jessica, I don't care. Now's not the time. So I'm a little got Disney on my brain, so, uh, surprise, surprise. But it does, it reminds me of, you know, when, when in, in that scene where they say that, you know, the name Jesus, it just does something. It does something to our hearts. It does something inside our, in our spirits, in our soul, and even in the room. You know, we just say, Jesus. There's, it's like taking a deep breath and breathing in new, fresh air because the name of Jesus is above every other name. The name of Jesus is what moves mountains. It's the name of Jesus that we can speak into every situation and it calms the storms. And so this morning, that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna focus all of our attention. All, because look, the, the Bible is all points to Jesus, right? So you can just study this person or that person or read this book or that book, but it all points to him. Well, this morning, we're just gonna go straight to the source. And as we do that, as we prepare for what I am so excited about for this morning, why don't, we, why don't we begin with prayer? And let's stand up as we do that this morning. I want to make sure we're all alert and awake and ready for what God's going to do this morning. Grab the hand of the person next to you. We're going old school, Beaches Chapel here. 
Father, thank you so much already in advance for what you're going to do, what you've already done, Lord, in worship. God, prepare us right now. Open our hearts, open our minds, God, to what you want to say to each one of us this morning and collectively as a group. This is about us individually, and this is about us as a church, Lord. And so as we, as we focus on you, as we open your word, God, I pray that it would come alive in a new way to each one of us, God. We give you this time wholly and completely, Lord. Nothing right now is as important as what you want to say to us in this moment. So, God, we give it to you all the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look now in the very beginning of John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And so... What we need to understand about the book of John is it's the, you, you have two categories of the Gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are the synoptic Gospels, and then you have John over there by himself. And historians and scholars have believed that the book of John is, was written later or after the other three Gospels because it's a, not just a different perspective, but a, totally from a different angle. And if you, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're going to hear what we're going to be hearing a lot of in the next couple of weeks, in the coming weeks, is the Christmas story of Jesus being born and the manger and Bethlehem and all that amazing, incredible stuff. John goes beyond that. He goes back further than that to the very beginning of everything. And the statement that he makes, in the beginning was the word, the word being Jesus, is a radical statement. What we need to understand is Jesus being God was not indigenous to the Jewish culture. Right? It wasn't something that they just were brought up in, like, like a lot of us were and are now still, where Jesus to us is synonymous with God. Well, back then that wasn't the case. This was a totally brand new thought. And so for John to say that in the beginning, especially those three words, was the word, was a powerful and mind-blowing statement because the other place that we read in the beginning was in Genesis 1, which says in the beginning was God. So if John is saying that in the beginning was the word, what he is then saying is in the beginning was God. And so Jesus is God. This is a huge deal. And, and, and what he's doing right off the bat, he's, he's just, he's giving away the ending right off the bat. He's saying, look, this guy that I'm about to write about, that I'm going to tell you about, is God. He wasn't just born in a manger in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, but he was always. And this really rubbed a lot of the Pharisees and just people in general in the wrong way because they worshiped God the creator and they, they, they held him in reverence and in awe and he was, he was God in heaven. And now they're saying, wait a second. This guy, this blue collar dude who we can touch and who's dirty is from Nazareth where what good thing comes out of Nazareth, you're telling me that he is God? How dare you say that? How dare you uh, bring my God down to this level right here? And it rubbed people the wrong way. But he goes on to say, in verse 3, Through him all things were made. Again, referencing Genesis. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
He's, he's just throwing it all out there. And I love it. He says, in him was life. And we're not just talking about biological life. Like you were born as, as human beings through Jesus. What John is saying here is in him was life. In him was salvation. In him was redemption and forgiveness. In him was hope and a future in your dreams and all those things. When John goes on to write in John chapter 10, verse 10, in him, he came to give life and life to the full. That's what he's talking about. In him was life. It was full life. It was good life. It was everything that we were made to be is through Jesus. And so he didn't just come as a man. He came to give life and in him was life. This thing that everyone is searching for. It's a huge thing what he's saying here. And then he goes on to say this, the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness only exists in the absence of light. There is no darkness unless there is an absence of light. In other words, darkness is subject to light. Well, what does John say earlier? He's the light. And so what he's saying by saying that, there, that darkness has not overcome it, he's saying, look, Darkness, evil, is subject to him and the things that he says because he is light. And what we need to understand is that darkness had not overcome it. It did not then and it will not now and it will not forever. Translation, listen to this, translation. If, if darkness only exists as the absence of light, that means Jesus ain't going anywhere. He's here for the long haul because the only way that darkness can exist is without him. And so Jesus is here and he is not going anywhere. And some of us need to grab hold of that this morning, that Jesus has not gone anywhere. He has not gone anywhere. As you pray, as you fall on your knees and you continue to ask for the same thing over and over again, you're saying, God, where are you? He says, listen, I'm always, I've been here since the beginning and I'm not going anywhere. Darkness has not overcome me. I am here. I read the other day, you know, as, as I'm, you know, been studying in school about Jesus as the person and a lot of arguments that were made uh, centered around the idea that how can a perfect God suffer? If he's perfect and suffering is imperfect, then how can God suffer? How, can, how could Jesus be God because Jesus suffered? Well, my answer to that was how can a perfect God not suffer? If, if Jesus is God and he is perfect, which he is, how then could he not, in his perfect love, know what suffering is? And we need to understand that, that Jesus gets it. He is a perfect God because of how he suffered for us. If he was, if he was anything else, he would be imperfect because he'd be far off and he wouldn't be able to relate to us, but instead he didn't. He became God in the flesh. And it says, continuing on, the good news about it in verse 10, as we, if we skip down, says, he was in the world. We read all these things. He was, he, everything that was created was through him. Right? Life is in him. Light was in him. Darkness could not overcome him. And the best part about it, he came down into the world. Sign me up. Where do I meet this guy? Where is he? I want to know. You're telling me he's here? This guy was from the beginning with God and is God? Came here? Where? Where is he? 
If we keep reading, we see what happens. It says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I honestly believe that this might be the saddest couple verses in all of the Bible. In all of the Bible, Jesus came down, left his throne in heaven for a people that either didn't recognize him or even worse, did not receive him. And I really wonder if that story has changed all that much today. And I just think, Jesus, how'd you do it? There's nothing that we can compare to. There's no analogy, there's, there's no metaphor, or anything like that, that we can put in, in, in that same category. But as I was reading this, I thought, I think the closest thing that I can come to that is, you know, when I come home at the end of the day, I'm in this sweet spot in life and I get it, it's not gonna last forever. But as I walk through the front door at the end of the day, my girls are still excited to see me, right? And they run up to me and they give me a hug. They say, daddy, daddy, daddy's here. And they show me whatever they've been working on or doing and we go wrestle and play and it's awesome. And I love it. And I love it. But I wonder at this age, not when they're teenagers or later on when it's kind of predictable or anything like that, but now when, they're, when that's the norm, if I came home and not only did they not greet me, but they rejected me. I said, you need to go. You need to get out. But this is my home. You know, I created y'all. I love you. Get out of here. We don't receive you. That would be devastating to me. I, I don't think I could recover. And that is what Jesus experiences every single day since he was born on this earth people rejecting him and not even recognizing him. And yet, he still loves us. That is unbelievable. We serve an amazing God. If he does all this, re receives this rejection every single day, the question that must be asked then is, why did he do it? Verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Amen. I read this the other day. It says, Christ saves us by becoming what we are. He heals us by taking our broken humanity into himself, not, not onto himself, into himself, by assuming it as his own, by entering into our human experience and by knowing it from the inside as being himself one of us. But had his sharing of our humanity been in some way incomplete, then man's salvation would be likewise incomplete. Jesus came down to be flesh, to suffer for us, for those that would accept him and for those that wouldn't. And he faces that rejection every single day. But there's some that he gets to call children of God. And all of this, what we've talked about up until this point, is a preface 
for what I really want to talk about this morning. To understand Jesus and his love for all of us and what we do with that. Because in a sense, there's a large part of us I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Say, I know that verse, I know that, I get it. What do we do with it? What do we do with this understanding of who Jesus is in our lives? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 2 and we'll get an idea. Starting in verse 1. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. I love that. I would love to have heard Jesus preach. You know, like we, we read the parables, and hear, but I, I just love to hear him preach the word. And my, our jaws would just be on the floor because of how much wisdom and how amazing he was at it. It says, he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered that, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. There it is. There it is. In this point in Jesus' ministry, his popularity is through the roof. I believe in the chapter before, they don't quote me, but he had just cast a demon out of somebody. And he was, people were talking, all right? They were talking. And we see that, the evidence of that here in this story, that he's preaching the word and there's, there's no room. People are spilling out into the streets, just trying to hear him, get a glimpse of, glimpse of him. What is he saying? What is he going to do? And here we have these four guys bringing their paralyzed friend on a mat to Jesus. And there's four things that I want to look at in this story that I want to kind of unpack to help us understand what we are supposed to do with our knowledge of who Jesus is in our lives and in this world. The first thing is this. This was not a convenient encounter. All right? As they were bringing their friend to Jesus, this wasn't easy for them. We're going to get to that point next. But what, what I mean by convenient is a lot of times we have someone in our life that we love, or that we know as a friend, a coworker, whatever, family member, and we are just so close to sharing Jesus with them. But we always wait until everything is just so. That the sun is at the right angle, that my hair's in the right place, you know, that I, that I feel good, I got a good night's sleep the night before, that nobody else is around to hear what I'm about to say, and we just want everything to be just so. We want it to be convenient and to just fit in the framework of our day. But if we look at this story, it was anything but convenient. There was no room for them. There was nothing that, there was a million excuses that they could have made to say, eh, let's try tomorrow. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever said that before? I'll just, I'll just talk to him tomorrow. It'll be a better opportunity then. Maybe spirit will flow a little more tomorrow. Didn't feel the anointing today. When it's a little more convenient, they didn't wait. They saw Jesus, they knew who he was, and they brought their friend to him. The second thing, which is very similar to the first point, I understand, but is that it was not easy. And what I mean by that is it was not physically easy to do. These guys were carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to see Jesus. 
And some commentaries say it was, it was common in that day to have staircases go up the side of the houses to get on the roof. And let's say that was the case. That doesn't make the, mean that it was easy in any way. If anyone has ever moved any sort of furniture upstairs in a two-story house, you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, we move people, move people in the church, and we're calling people, and one of the first questions, is it two-story? Yeah. Yes, it is. Ah, uh, you know what? Mm. My back, my knee, my face, uh, everything. Can't do it. I'm sorry. Oh, no, actually, I, I stand corrected. It's a single floor. Oh, I'm healed. I can help. This was not easy. They had to work hard at getting their friend to Jesus. They had to carry him up either stairs or use some sort of pulley system to get him onto this roof. And then after that, they had to cut a hole in the roof. All while Jesus is preaching to this super crowded room. It's not easy a lot of times to bring people to Jesus. It's not convenient all the time. It's going to mess up our day a little bit. We're going to have to use some muscles that we don't normally use. We don't have to get out of our comfort zone. But at the end of the day, we serve a God who's perfect because he came down and suffered for us. All things are created through him. He gave us light. He gave us life. He was, has been always. It's not a new idea. Isn't that enough to bring people, to carry them up the steps and cut a hole through the roof? And I know, I know as I stand here today, there are all of us in here that have people that we want sitting next to us in church that we've been praying about. And that's what this is all about today. It's about bringing them home, getting them on the mat and carrying them to Jesus. We have to cut a hole in the roof, we'll cut a hole in the roof. It's gonna take some work, but we're gonna do it. And here's the next point. It wasn't just one of them, it was four of them. They did it together. And that's what we're gonna do here at Beaches Chapel. It wasn't one person carrying the mat. It was four. Each one of them had a corner and they brought the friend. It doesn't say that, that one person was their best friend or maybe it was two. We don't know. It could have been a stranger. It just said it was a paralyzed guy on a mat. But four guys said, we're going to do this together for one. And we as a church are going to start carrying the mat of each person in our life who needs to be carried to Jesus. We're going to do it together. And we're going to start that this morning because it takes all of us. It's not just about you bringing your friend and you bringing your loved one and you bringing your coworker. It's about all of us bringing everyone together into this body, into this place, into Jesus. The last point is this. They were willing to sacrifice their reputation for their friend to be healed. There was Pharisees in there. There was all sorts of people. And here they are, willing. I mean, think about this right now as I'm preaching. If all of a sudden we heard some sort of saw, you know, in the ceiling, and, you know, all stuff started falling, you know, and then this dude gets lowered down, like, on the stage. Like, bro. And then four heads ducked under the hole and they were looking down here. You're like, what is wrong with these people? That's what they were willing to sacrifice. Who cares what anyone thinks? I want my friend to be healed. And the only way to do that is to bring him to Jesus. And my goodness, 
I need to be better at that. I need to be a lot better at that. And I think the church as a whole does. We have got to stop caring. And I'm not saying being reckless. But to the point where we know that Jesus is the only answer and we'll get people to him. They were willing to sacrifice everything. And here, here's honestly the coolest thing about this story. It's at least what I, what I imagine. They lower him in to the room. But I wonder what the plan is for him if they were told no. What do they do then? See, I think their plan when they lowered this guy into the room was not to raise him back up. It was for him to walk out on his own. That was what they were after. If we can just get him in the room, if we can just get him to Jesus, he will take care of the rest. There was no plan B. And for all the loved ones in our lives, the people that we're crying out for, the people that we've been praying for, there's no plan B. It's bring him to Jesus and watch him get healed. Watch them walk out of the room. Watch their sins forgiven. Watch their lives be changed. That's the plan. That's it. What a great plan it is. There's a story of the prodigal son, if, if you don't know it, um, the son that basically asked for his dad's inheritance. It says, I want all my inheritance right now. I'm going to go live elsewhere. Basically telling his dad, I wish you were dead. Uh, can I have my money now, please? And he goes and lives this frivolous life, wastes all of his money, comes to his senses, says, you know, I should just go back and work for my dad. The people that work for him are living a better life than me. I'm paraphrasing all of this, obviously. And, and he begins to come back to, to his father. And it says in Luke 15, verse 20, it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And, you know, we can look at this, the father in this story as God the father, which I think is awesome. You know, it, it illustrates God's unending love for us. But I, I want to take this moment and look at the father as an earthly father, as the, as the true earthly father of this son, and, and look at his reaction. It said when he was a far way off, he saw his son. And what that tells me, as I read this, is that this father, for his son, never gave up. He continued to look. He continued to pray. He continued to wait. So in that moment where his son returned, he would be the first one to greet him. Nobody else was going to get that opportunity. That was his and as, as we pray to the Lord, as we continue every day to look out and see, are they coming home? Are they coming home? We're going to be able to run out to them first because we haven't given up. We continue to pray and know that the, the, the word does not return void, that our suffering Jesus suffered for them as much as he did for us. And God wants them to be adopted into their kingdom as much as we are. They are much God's children as we are. And so we need to just stand on the porch, continue to pray, and wait for them to come home. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray. Because everything, 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 everything is birthed in prayer. All of it. And you don't begin by pick up the mat of our friends by going and finding a mat. You go to Jesus first.
a wishful heart will keep you in your seat. An expectant, hopeful heart will drop you to your knees. And in this case this morning, we'll bring you to the altar. This is, this is real. There are all of us in here, every single one of us, I don't believe any single person in here is an exception, that we are believing for someone in our life to come back home to Jesus, maybe multiple. And so what we are going to do this morning is I've asked uh, our pastors and elders and their spouses and some other people as well to be on a prayer team, and we're going to line the front of the stage right here. And we're going to begin carrying the mat for those people in our lives right now in prayer. And what we're going to do is we're going to have you, in just a second, I'll, I'll, I'll instruct us in a second, we're going to stand up, and when you come forward, I just want you to, to, to just, speak, just share the first name of the person or people that you're believing for. You don't, don't give a life story. You don't do, this isn't a counseling session. There's a lot of us in here. But we just want to, as a church, stand in agreement with you. We want to carry that mat with you and pray for these people to come home. We're entering a season right now, coming into Christmas and Thanksgiving, where we're around family, we're around friends, but it is also a very hard time for a lot of people. As joyous as it is for some, it's extremely hard for others, and these people are ripe. And I, I believe this is why God had us wait, because it's in these moments and these weeks coming up that they're going to say, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to come to church. But it's something that we have to be unrelenting about. Invite them week in and week out. Pray for them every single day. Stand on the porch and wait for them to come home, and we're going to do it together. Is everyone clear? Making sense? Okay, we're not going to have, the, listen, it, from, the, from the deacons in the back to our band, no, one is, no, one's, no band is going to come up here until they get prayed for as well. If you're on the prayer team, let me say this, don't go back to your seat until you get prayed for. All of us in here, it's time, it's time we start linking arms together for the loved ones in our lives to come back home. Let's start carrying the mat of these people to Jesus. Amen? All right, let's stand up. And as I pray, I'm going to invite our, our prayer team this morning, our pastors, our elders, and those that I've asked to just come up and just spread across the front. There's not going to be any music at first. I'm going to set what's played over the, um, over the speakers. And then we're, then we're going to enter back into worship. Amen. Father, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you, Lord, that you came. God, you left your throne in heaven where you were at from the beginning of time and came here and took on human flesh, suffered for us so that we could be called children of God. And Lord, right now, we just lift up those that we've been believing for, God. It feels like we've been praying for them forever. God, we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to put them on our mat and bring them to you over and over, God, because we know that you love them just as much as you love us. God, you leave the 99 for the one. Go get them, Lord. Go get them and bring them home. Bring them home, Jesus. Bring them home, Father. We speak it out in Jesus' name. Bring them home, Lord. Bring them home. Amen. All right, you can come up and get prayed for, and then uh, we'll enter back into worship.